So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. And it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants for you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the living word and that you're still alive and you speak to us today. You, you live inside of us and you are yet right now to change us and bring us more into your image and your likeness that we can be like you as we live our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. That's quite some scripture when you read it um, and you, you take in what it says. Um, who have you heard the sermon I preached in church in Tarong about two weeks ago? Three of you? Well, that's good. I preached about a, um, I'm going to just touch on what I spoke about then and then I'm going to share what I want to share today. And part of what I shared about was that old part of the verse where it says, do not fit into the culture around you that you don't even notice you're doing it. And um, I don't think it's hard for any of us to agree that the culture around us is not exactly, it talks there about immaturity and, and dragging us down. Um, the culture around us is, is definitely not the kingdom of God culture. Any of you got friends who don't serve God who are tithing? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, none of them do. They just don't tithe because that's not what they want to do. And most of them don't go to church on a Sunday. So these are all things we do that are counterculture. They're against the culture around us. Things, what the Bible says, we mustn't fit into the culture. Okay? And um, so what I spoke about was a word that a lot of Christians know, but I don't know what it is. We sort of just put it in the back, and it's the word Sabbath. Okay? Um, most people, when you talk to them about the Sabbath, they go, yeah, it's pretty Old Testament, and you know. Um, but I want to put it to you that the Sabbath is probably one of the biggest things you and I can do against the culture around us. I spoke a little bit last time about, um, how many of you remember when shops and everything were closed on a weekend or a Sunday? Man, and, and it's just moved to a point now where there's a blur between Monday to Sunday. There's no difference. Uh, most stores open the same. Who remembers when they first opened them, but the alcohol section in the supermarket was blocked off? Because <laughs> for some reason that didn't work. Well, you know, so we've just fitted in with this culture. Um, now, let me tell you that the Sabbath is not actually, it didn't start at the Ten Commandments. Believe it or not, that the Sabbath was actually the very first thing God told man to do. So Genesis 1 and 2, God created man and woman, made the animals, made everything. And then it says, and then on the seventh day, God rested and he made it holy and said, you need to rest. It's not actually a commandment. And I think the word Sabbath brings a lot of negative connotation to us. We, we sort of think it's a religious observance. And so we go, well, I can't do this, this, and this. I'll have to do that on Monday. 
Well, that's not the attitude. The attitude was God stopped and he looked back and went, man, that looks good. Look at that. And he, he, he was excited and he thought what he did was good and he was delighted in it. And he said, let's rest. And we are meant to do the same. And um, rest is actually good for you. And I think if I spoke to you and said, you need to have one day off and you need to rest, you'd have been okay. But as soon as I used the word Sabbath, there was a little bit of something inside of you that went, that's very religious. And so I want to encourage you to um, go and listen to that if you need to. Um, and just see where you fit on the Sabbath. Now, I want to read a scripture that I was already my daily reading this week. And I thought, man, that's very interesting. So out of Colossians, um, Verse 16, it says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Isn't that amazing? Don't let anyone condemn you because you don't celebrate the Sabbath. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality of what is yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on your pious self-denial. And sometimes that's what the Sabbath has become. It's just self-denial and we pious about, oh, I don't do that on the Sabbath. That's what happened to the Pharisees. They wouldn't lift a finger and they wouldn't do anything because look at me, I'm obeying the Sabbath. And that's not what I spoke about when I preached and it's not what I want you to do. But I want you to say, God, I, I acknowledge you made everything and you rested. Let me tell you, if God needed to rest, how much more do you and I need to rest? And so we need to bring it into our lives as a pattern and say, God, I want to stop and, um, and I just want to rest and take a bit of time. Um, it's interesting, it's the only command or thing that God has spoken to you and I about of one of the spiritual disciplines, the things we practice in our lives that God put a time frame on. You know, God doesn't say you need to read your Bible every day. God doesn't say you need to pray every day. Um, none of that. But you need to rest every seven days. Very easy. And so I want to encourage you to have a look at that in your life and see where you want to go and take it from there. One of the big parts of the Sabbath, it's meant to be a celebration, a community thing where you get together and you feast and you eat. So anyone who loves food, get in the Sabbath, man. It's real good. And, um, and then there was the word delight. You know, God, God looked what he made and he delighted in it. And so I want to read to you Psalm chapter one. And Psalm chapter one says, there, blessed is the one who does not walk in, the step, in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And um, the reason I want to speak to you about that verse is the word delight in Hebrew, one of the most common terms in Hebrew for delight means to bend towards, to incline towards. Now, we all think of the word delight when I spoke about it, and you think of it a bit different, but the word delight means to lean towards or to press into or to bend towards. Now, um, you all know Pastor Eleanor, and Pastor Eleanor's got a favorite tree that she always parks under at our church. It's a, um, a jacaranda tree, which sort of is on the corner, and that's sort of her park. It's not marked or anything, but somehow no one parks there, and Pastor Eleanor always parks there. Anyway, one of the guys in church got the seeds, and I didn't even know about it. A jacaranda tree is the hardest seed to cultivate. Because you can't just plant it in the ground. You actually have to, I don't know the whole story, but you have to crush it, break it open or something, and then plant it and it grows. So this guy in church found a whole of them, and he thought he's going to do it, and he did. And he gave me one, and it was about that big. And this little tree had started. It was just more like a, looked like a weed. And it was on my desk in the office. 
at church and, and I sort of watered it every now and then and it started growing. And when it got about that big, I thought, man, that's pretty cool. I'm going to take it outside and put it in the garden at home. So, but I thought, got dogs, they're not good. So I put it in the pot plant and I, I, I stood it up on, a, an, on a, one of my fence posts and thought, that's where I'm going to leave it. And I noticed after about two or three weeks, man, it had grown. It was probably the size of the microphone now, but it was leaning towards the sun. It had bent towards the sun. It was pressing in to where the sun was. And that's what the word delight is. We need to be delighting in the law of God. We need to be pressing in and, and bending towards. You know, you read and say, his delight was in the Lord day and night. And you go, am I meant to read the Bible day and night? And just, well, no, but we need to be pressing into it and leaning towards it that it affects everything that we do. It's the overriding thing in our lives. And so that's um, a question we all need to ask ourselves. What are we leaning towards? What are we bending towards? Are we bending towards our work? Are we leaning towards our work so much? You know, if you ask most people when you meet them as they get to church, hey, how was your week? What do they answer? Busy. <laughs> Everything's busy. <laughs> are we in a hurry? Are you leaning into some kind of hobby um, or thing that you do? Or are you leaning into TV? Don't put your hand up. If you, are you, what are you leaning into? What are you bending towards? Because that's what you actually delight in. You know, so besides the Sabbath, there's a lot of other spiritual practices and things that we need to do. And, and um, I'll encourage you to go and listen to that message if you want to, or go and do some homework for yourself about the Sabbath and, and what you should be doing to rest and to stop and not just do what the culture around you does and make decisions yourself, how you're going to be against the culture. Um, but today... Following the same path, I want to read a couple of other verses to you. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And I've heard a lot of Christians and I've said to myself, Man, I want to know God. But I, and I know that verse, but I never put the two together. The Bible says, Be still and know God. How many of you have said, man, I really want to know God a bit more today, so I'm just going to be still? There's only one hand, and I won't make you look. There's two hands. That's good. <laughs> it's not, you need, to, you need to be doing this talk and not me. But it's, it's something that we're just not good at. We live in a world where nothing is still. And so I've been reading a book by John Mark Comer, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, um, and so I've been on this journey for probably three or four months and thinking about the Sabbath and the ruthless elimination of hurry and, and looking at all of that. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be a, a zealot, you know, someone who's spitting from the mouth and just going on mad about a subject. And so I'm always cautious about it and, and taking my time. And so doing a bit of research for, for speaking today, I, I looked through some of my old sermon notes, which is easy when you do them on digital because you can just search and you won't believe what I found. Um, many of you wouldn't even know. Um, she's now Hannah McCauley. She used to be on staff at church. And in 2011, she did a sermon on silence and solitude. And just be still and know that he's God. So I went, yes, I'm on the right track. It's not just my own idea. What was amazing, and I said to my wife last night, you know, when I heard that back in 2011, I made the notes, but it had no impact on me. And now... God has been talking to me about it, and I've been reading this book and other things and scriptures, and some of every scripture I read in the Bible through a daily program talks about the Sabbath. I go, okay, God, I'm listening. I want to just stop, and I want to rest, and I want to be still 
and know that you are God. Um, you know, um, I heard someone say in one of the books I was reading, it said to choose to live an unhurried life today is almost like taking a vow of poverty in the old days. To choose to live an unhurried life today is like taking a vow of poverty in the old days. That's how we live now. Everything is fast food. Everything's at your fingertips. Um, everything's quick. You've got to do it quickly. You know, if you stand in the queue at the supermarket and there's three people, you look for a shorter queue and you, you move to that queue, well, what are you actually saving? Or if you're coming down a, a road and there's three cars, you go to the left lane because there's only one car. And um, everything we do is in a hurry. It's an assault on our from the culture around us, if we can just learn to slow down and to stop. In Isaiah talks um, to God, God says to him, go and stand out before the mountain. And the Lord told, sorry, Elijah, go and stand out there. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. You know, I've heard a lot of Christians say, man, I just wish I could hear from God. Are you prepared to get to a place where you're just quiet, no noise, and prepared to listen? It's interesting that when we talk about our faith, we talk about how's your walk with God gain? We don't say how's your run with God gain? The Bible says God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He didn't run with Adam and Eve. Yet we want to do everything at pace and we want to run and just get it done. And you know, let's, how quickly can I read the Bible? Can I do this? Can I fit this in? How's your walk with God gain? Just stop and walk and, and slow down. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Commune with your own heart. I mean, just stop and actually listen to what's going in. I'm amazed how you can go down to the beach and it's just incredible and the scenery and it's beautiful. And someone's sitting there with these white things in their ears. You know what they're called? <laughs> and they listen to music. <laughs> and I'm going, what on earth? And I see people walking like out on a nature or we take our dogs walking heaps and, and you go out and there's people with headphones on. And I'm going, are you, are you literally scared of being alone by yourself? And we've got to that. You know, we've got a guy, well, too late now I've said it, he comes to work, he's washing the dishes and he's got AirPods on. Is he, you know, are we just constantly trying to fill ourselves with noise? Are we scared to be alone and just to have nothing going on? Habakkuk 2 verse 20, it says, But the Lord in his holy temple, let the Lord is in his holy temple, let the earth keep silence before him. How good are we at silence? You know, if you've been in church long enough, you'll know what I'm talking about. When the praise and worship's going and someone prays, and then there's that awkward silence. And and you're sort of thinking, what's gonna happen next? Who's who's gonna do something? And and Invariably, there's someone who will break the silence because they can't have this. We've got to, we've got to talk quickly. And I'm going to pray while I'll speak in tongues. What's wrong with silence? The Bible talks about it heaps of times. Just stop and silent. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and this is one of the verses that 
the school Hannah spoke about in 2011. Okay, so I'm not a heretic. This is old stuff, man. It's happening. And in verse 2, it says, Do not be quick with your mouth, and do not be hasty with your heart to utter anything before God, because God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Who of you have woken up and said, Man, today I want to get in the presence of God. I'm going to make sure my words are few. We, we just don't do that. We, I'm going to get in the presence of God. I've got lots to say. And we, you know, and so I hope this is challenging you as much as it challenged me. Um, you know, Jesus often withdrew to a quiet place. Jesus feeds 5,000 people because they're banging his door down. They want to get around him. They want to hear. He teaches them. He feeds them. And then he says to his disciples, let's go. I'm going to get rid of the people. You go in the boat. Get over the lake. And says, and Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. And then it says, and in the night, he decided to go looking for them. So this is Jesus who needed to go to a quiet place. Who do you and I think we are that we don't need to? And we can just keep everything going and keep the noise going and the busyness and the bustle, uh, hustle and bustle of our lives. In, in Mark, um, over nine times, it says Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. You know, so if I really want to follow Jesus, I need to do the things that Jesus did. We all say we are, you know, I've stopped telling people that I'm born again. I say I'm a follower of the way of Jesus. Because somehow when you talk born again, they get all tricked up about it. But when I say, well, I'm a follower of the way of Jesus. So if I'm a follower of the way of Jesus, I need to make sure that I'm doing the things that Jesus did. And so when I read the Bible, I go, what did Jesus do here? Yep, that's what I want to do. I want to bring back the WWJD bracelet because I think they were great. What would Jesus do? Okay, and um, that's how we need to live. And I got a little, little revelation this week. You know, Jesus was never a secretary or a PA or a person at the counter in a service station. But our jobs is to say, well, if Jesus was a PA or if Jesus was at the counter at the service station, how would he be? How would he react? And that's how we need to live our lives, trying to interpret what would Jesus do if he was in this situation. You know, Jesus walked on the earth very slowly. He was not in a rush. He was not in a hurry. Um, they told him, your best friend's dying. He said, yep, I'll come. And he took three days. He was not in a hurry. Um, one of the, the rulers of the day came to him and said, my daughter's busy dying. Would you come and pray for her? Yep. And on the way, he lets an issue with a woman who was pressing on and touching his garment, and he stops the whole procession to deal with that. Jesus was not in a, in a hurry. Jesus' life was full of interruptions. And so we need to make sure we can also slow down. I think the problem with a lot of us as believers, we've added Jesus to our lives, we haven't removed stuff and brought Jesus in. So Jesus is an addition, and we've just added. You know what? We've all only got 24 hours a day. We, we need to be removing stuff to make room for Jesus, not trying to squeeze Jesus in. And that's the difference. Um, you know, someone said, oh man, if I could just have more time. Well, I believe it's not going to help you, because if we had another four hours, we'd find more stuff to do. And we'd be in the exact same predicament we are now. What's fascinating is the richest people in the world have the same amount of time as you. People who are loving and caring and, and doing all the good things, they have the same amount of time as you. They've just chosen to do the better things. And so we need to look where we are and where we stand in that. 
You know, the story of the Good Samaritan is another great example of being prepared to be interrupted. Um, the Good Samaritan, who in those days would almost have been an enemy of a Jewish person, it said he bandaged up the wounds, treated them, took him to the inn, and it says, and then the next day, so he gave up a whole day for this person he didn't know. Then the next day he gave the money and said, look, I've got to come back and sort it out. How ready are you to be interrupted or to do the things that Jesus would do? You know, the Bible says that we are meant to be known by our love for one another. You can't do love at pace. It is slowly. Isn't that interesting? In 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first thing the Bible says? Love is patient. <laughs> patient, another word for it in the original language, not in a hurry. Not fast, but slow. Um, if, you've just, if you've got a toddler in your life or a three-year or four-year-old, you try and do relationship fast. It's difficult because they go, I want to, I want to, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. You, you know, just let's hurry up and get this on, you know, and you don't do it fast. And I remember my kids, when I'd be holding them and talking to someone and they want to talk to me, they just pull my head away and, like, you know, and I think sometimes God wants to do that with us. Just pull your head away from the TV or, or whatever it is and do things slowly. You know, um, I'm going on a motorbike trip again. My annual pilgrimage every year to Mecca. Well, sorry, I didn't say that. To South Island. To the South Island. And um, so on the trip, Ruth and I will we'll text each other a bit and, and sort of um, message back and forward. How's it going? What's happening? And yeah, we're going good. Yeah, we're camping here tonight or whatever. And, and that's great. But we couldn't do that for a sustained period of time. Eventually, I need to come home and spend time with her and see her and hold her and hold her hand and, and do things together. I think some of us are trying to serve God via text message. And we, we don't want to see him or touch him. You know, I'm, I know it's very hard to believe, but I've got a granddaughter already. So I'm a grandparent. Yep, hard to believe. I can see all the expression on your faces. Um, unfortunately, she's in Northern Ireland. <laughs> and so we FaceTime grandparents. And so I'm not even sure if she recognizes us. We, she just started waving. And that seems my wife's biggest goal when she talks to us to get her to wave. Like, but, so we got this vicarious relationship over FaceTime, you know, and we... The whole goal is to get to see her. So we're going to go over in end of March and we're going to see her and touch her and hug her and hold her and pick her up. And I believe a lot of us are trying to serve God via FaceTime. We don't want to make the effort to slow down, to stop, to be still and to actually touch him for real. We're just too busy and we're too rushed to have a, a good relationship um, I found an article in Psychology Today. In the U.S., they did a, a study, and they wanted to find out how much time do you, do you need to have a good relationship? How much time does it take to have a good relationship? They said, well, we'll have to look at a husband and wife in a married situation and work out time. Um, and the answer they came up with was one hour a day. You need at least one hour a day to maintain a good relationship. So I thought, well... It's got to be the same with God. I mean, at least the one hour a day. And when you say that to most Christians, they go, yeah, I can't fit that in. One hour a day. Where, where do I find that much time? Um, it's interesting, and it's great to use these examples because it doesn't affect us so much, but they, found, they did a survey in America. The average American 
and we always blame the Americans, they spend two hours a day on their phone. Average American, two hours a day. It doesn't end there though. They also spend three hours a day watching TV. So that's five hours, but we can't spend an hour a day trying to think about God and talk to God. And I'm not talking about sitting down and praying and reading. I'm talking about delighting in God and leaning towards and and saying, well, God, I'm not going to watch TV for the next hour. I'm going to just sit here in, in silence and maybe think about you and rest and relax and enjoy your presence because God is with us always. Um, and so my challenge to most people, if, if you're not hearing from God, it's not God's fault. It's because you're not listening. You're too busy. You have too many things on. Um, you're watching TV with your phone and you, you know, we reach for our phone every spare moment. The average American will touch their phone 2,500 times a day. I love talking about the Americans because it doesn't affect us. Now, you know, you go into the average waiting room and just count how many people are on their phones. Um, I won't also put your hands up, but how many, you know, people just use their phone in the toilet. <laughs> you, you can't waste the time. Just sit on the phone. Well, you know, don't be poking the person next to you. I saw that. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, we constantly need to be entertained and have it moved in front of us. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote back in the 40s. He said that the biggest threat to Christianity today is busyness. That was in the 40s. Distraction and busyness. Um, Dr. King, Martin Luther King, said um, that we have allowed technology to outrun our theology. The Bible says in Psalm 16 verse 8 that I have set the Lord always before me. You know, I'm writing my notes and I didn't know we were going to be singing the song. You know, we say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Every breath that I take. But you've got five minutes and then I'm busy. <laughs> what are we doing about that? Are we, are we prepared to be against the culture and say, well, I don't need to have a TV in the lounge. I don't need to binge watch a whole series of whatever. I don't need to take my phone with me everywhere. I told people when I spoke in Tauranga, that my wife and I said, are we going to leave the phone at home? And we were about to go to the mountain. She goes, is it safe to go without our phone? <laughs> That's just the thinking. You know, what happens if I get stuck? Who am I going to call? Well, so what? <laughs> you know, we need to make decisions to be counter the culture around us, to be silent and to slow down. Um, most psychologists, um, again in America, we blame the Americans, have said that most people's relationship to their phone is more compulsive than convenient. So it's compulsive. They have to, where's the phone? And, and reach for it. And we need to make sure we are not living that same way. And so as I close off this morning, um, I really want to just ask you to have a look in your own lives. I'd, I'd love us almost to do, who knows what Toggle is? So Toggle's an app that you use to monitor how much time you're working on a certain job and you'll write down every hour, yep, I did 15 minutes or I did 20 minutes. I think I'd love us in our lives if we could have Toggle on the go permanently and in the week say, okay, let's see where I spent my time. I think we'd be shocked at where we've wasted so much time. And so my challenge to us this week is, why don't I just look at my life and say, where can I be still and know that He is God? Where can I allow room 
for God to interrupt my program and what I'm doing? Where can I stop hurry and move to a place where I allow room for God? Let's stand and I'm going to pray. Lord God, all of us have sort of stopped our lives this morning and taken an hour or so to come and be in your presence and to think about you and to to bend towards and lean towards you in delight for who you are and what you've done. Um, For some of us, it may have been easier than others, but regardless, we want to just say, you're our God. We love you. We want to lean towards you more. And I pray that you would help us to see what are the things we need to eliminate, what are the things that we've just allowed to become part of our culture when we actually want to be more like Jesus. And so I pray today that you would challenge us, stir in our hearts, and as you invite us to spend more time with you, that we would take that invitation, not make it a command, not make it a rule, but accept the invitation to know you, to be still and know that you are God. We do want to give you our hearts. We do want to give you our soul. With every breath we take, we do want to know you and love you and serve you and be the light in this community that you want us to be. Against the culture, not just the same as them, but the same as you and your culture, a heavenly culture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great-